Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we began our Lenten sermon series on some of the miracles of Jesus. And uh, we focused on Jesus turning water into wine. And this week we're going to talk about what I've entitled Bread from Heaven. And if you notice, the Old Testament reading was when God provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. And in fact, Jesus, as he fed the 5,000, the reading from the Gospel, according to John in the New Testament, that he makes reference to the manna, the bread from heaven. And he provides bread for the people. And so in both cases, you see this basic stable, a staple of life being provided. And as you consider all the miracles that Jesus did, and last week I referred to the fact that If you count up the miracles, the different miracles that Jesus did throughout the Gospels, and there is reference to other miracles. For example, at the end of John's Gospel, it talks about many different things that Jesus did. And actions, and teaching, and many different books that could be written about what Jesus actually did when he walked the face of the earth. And in Mark chapter 1, it refers to different miracles. But 28 different ones are actually referred to. Of all those 28, the Gospels, the four Gospels, only share two miracles. And those two miracles are the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus. Those are the only two miracles that all four Gospels share. And if you think about it, one of those miracles has to do with creation. The fact that Jesus is Lord over creation. That he provides from five loaves and two fish enough to feed 5,000 people. And so he's Lord over creation. And when he rises from the dead, he's Lord over redemption and salvation. So in effect, he's Lord over life and he's Lord over eternal life. And what that is establishing is his messiahship, the fact that he is Lord. He is God. And so both both of these miracles together combined show his messiahship, his lordship. That he's God. Don't mistake that. And it's interesting that of all the other miracles that are distributed, these two are shared by all four. They could not leave these out when they chose all the other miracles throughout the Gospels. And, uh, And in both cases of the Old Testament and the New Testament in particular where God provides bread... I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that it really wasn't that long of a time that the people were without food. Have you ever thought about that? In the Old Testament reading, the people had left Egypt 
And how many days were they in the wilderness before they started complaining about being hungry? Anyone know? Three days. And there's a very good chance that they had probably taken food with them. There's a very good chance that they had taken animals with them. And so they probably at this point were not starving, right? They were maybe hungry, but there was something else going on. And I want you to hold that thought. When we come to the gospel reading, and the people were following Jesus, and Jesus looked out and had compassion on them and fed them, how long had they been without food? Maybe skipped a meal or two? Right? And they were hungry, but they weren't starving. And we are familiar with starvation from afar. Because we have seen pictures of children and people from the Sudan, from Ethiopia, that have been starving. You know, we've seen pictures of people with toothpick arms and distended abdomens. So we've seen starvation from afar. But none of us personally have ever experienced starvation. Although, if you have missed a meal for an hour or two, you probably have said, I'm starving. (laughs) And it's the same idea. These people were not starving. But the people that were leaving Egypt were stepping out. They were stepping out from their comfort zone. They were stepping out from what they were used to. They were going out into the wilderness and there was fear. Because they had lived a certain life. Their culture, their people for hundreds of years. They had lived in an enslaved mindset as an enslaved people. And they had their meals provided for them. They always knew they were going to have food. And so they weren't concerned about where the next meal was going to be coming from. They weren't wealthy. They probably lived on the edge of survival. But they always knew they were going to eat. Just like the people in the New Testament. It would be the same idea. That they were not the wealthy people. They were the people that lived around Lake Galilee Lake Tiberius, if you will, because it was known as two different lakes, depending upon where you lived. That they were probably the working people. And they lived day by day, but they had enough. But they had to work for a living. Most of us have never really worried about where our next meal is going to come from. Maybe about what we were going to eat, or where we were going to eat but not about where our next meal was going to come from and if we were going to eat. But bread was one of the staples. And so what we see provided for in the Old Testament reading as the people were coming out of Egypt was God provided bread and he provided more than bread. But it's interesting how quickly the people forgot. 
They said to Moses, they said, did you bring us out here to die? We want to go back. And I'm sure, I'm sure Moses is saying, really? You want to go back? You want to go back and be an enslaved people? You forget so quickly what you left? You left the flesh pots? You want to go back to the flesh pots? You want to go back to that struggling life? You were crying out for hundreds of years. We as a people were crying out for hundreds of years. You've been crying out all your life to be free and you want to go back? Because of your fear? Because you don't trust the Lord? You saw what he did. You saw the plagues. You saw the parting of the Red Sea. You saw Pharaoh's army destroyed. And you don't trust the Lord to provide. See, the fear was the fear of the unknown. They wanted to go back to what they knew, even though it was an awful situation. It's one of the reasons why I think that people that are stuck in alcoholic families, alcoholic households, oftentimes are afraid to break out of that, afraid to confront it, because they know what they have. And so they try to manage it rather than confront it. It's why some people stay in abusive relationships and abusive households. Because they know what they have. And they think they can manage it. I'm always amazed when I see that. And yet as I read about it or study it or even see television shows about it, I understand because people know what they have and there's a certain amount of security. And people think they can control it or deal with it. And so they stay. And so that's what the people of, of Israel were saying. We knew what we had. It wasn't pleasant, but we knew what we had. We're afraid to step out. We're afraid to trust the Lord. And that's really why a lot of people don't trust the Lord at His word. Sounds like a good idea. God sounds like he can probably handle it based on the fact that he created the world. Based on the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. But do we really trust him? See, that's the bottom line here. And what we see first and foremost is God's provision is enough if not abundant. That's what we see in both situations. God's provision is enough, if not abundant. When you see the manna, there's enough for every day. And enough for them to, to have twice for Sunday, the Sabbath, so they don't have to pick it up. It was actually Saturday then. But for the Sabbath, God's provision was enough. And then, on top of it, He has Wind blow quail in so that they have meat. They have more than enough, abundantly. See, now we live in such a day, bread, 
You know, it has a lot of carbs. <laughs> I'm on the South Beach diet. I'm really only doing protein right now. I'm doing gluten-free. Whatever it is. See, because we know where our next meal's coming from. We got this. We've got control. Give us this day our daily bread. We say the Lord's Prayer. Doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Most of us. Because we're not really seeking to trust Him. Really. But that's what they had to do. And God's provision was enough and more. We even talked about that last time. It was the staple, and it was more than the staple. It was a bonus. There were leftovers. Leftovers. More than enough quail. Leftovers after Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Leftovers. There was bread, and there was fish. More than just bread. God's provision, enough and abundant. We talked about that last week with the water turned into wine. Enough, abundant, and the best. When we really understand what God has in mind for us. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about His design for what life is meant to be as we walk with Him. Because God has us. That when we take a step of faith, when we walk with Him, yes, sometimes it's unknown. And sometimes we're fearful. But He always says, I have you. It's enough. It's more. You'll be blessed. And I will bless others through you. Just trust me. Same idea we talked about last week. Same idea. See, we're always looking for the menu, you know? Bread? Mm. We want the menu. Cafeteria Christianity. We don't really necessarily want what he's given us. We'd rather pick and choose. We want it our way, in our time. So often. We have such a hard time submitting. Giving up. Trusting Him. See, but God has us. If we trust Him, if we take the step of faith, if we really follow Him. That's what He was looking for when He invited the people out into the wilderness. That's what Jesus was looking for when He said, come follow Me. And then God has surprises for us. When we really trust Him, God has surprises. It was wonderful that when the people went out into the wilderness, they had no idea what was coming. And Moses said, just, just trust Me. You'll see in the morning. You'll see in the morning. You know, there's a wonderful scripture. I don't know how many of you know this scripture. 
But if you are not in the habit of memorizing scripture, here's a great scripture for you to memorize. And it's in the book of Lamentations. Doesn't that sound like an exciting book? That probably gets your juices pumping. Lamentations. It really doesn't sound promising. And the prophet that wrote it, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, that's probably less promising. But let me tell you one of the verses in there that is just wonderful. It comes from Lamentations chapter 3. And it's actually verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In the book of Lamentations from the weeping prophet. You know why they're new every morning or what God's design and intention is to be? That every morning that we spend time with Him, that we are preparing for His surprises. That every morning we spend time in His Word. Every morning we spend time in prayer. We're looking for Him to move. So that this lesson that comes from the manna, that when the Israelites wake up and they see this dew on the ground and there's this substance that's the bread, it's God feeding them in the morning. That God wants to feed us every morning. He wants to surprise us every day. That when God, through Jesus, in Jesus, fed the people who followed Him from five loaves and two fish, 5,000 people, what a surprise that would be. And you know how surprised the people were? They're, They're walking out there. And God had promised to feed them. And they're looking out there and they say, what's that? What's that? You know, the neat thing about that is that the word manna, the word manna, doesn't that sound like a really holy word, manna? Sounds really cool. When we say the word manna, bread from heaven, you know, you know what the word manna means? It means, what's that? That's what the word manna means. It means, what's that? That's why when the people went out and they'd say, what's that? It's the word manna. That's, that's why we call it manna. When you say manna from heaven, it means, what's that from heaven? It's a surprise. That what God wants to do in your life is surprise you on a regular basis with His joy, with His provision, with His abundance. But most people aren't looking for it because they're not looking for Him because they want to do it themselves. They want it to be within their control. They want it to be their thing. And they really don't want to trust Him. And God says, trust me. Trust me. I'll surprise you with my provision. Trust me. That's what he's saying. So God not only surprises, he blesses. But we have to pursue him. 
He wants us to pursue Him. Not pursue the things. Pursue Him. When the Israelites went out into the wilderness, when they crossed the Red Sea, experienced the Passover, when the Israelites, when some of the Israelites went there, they just wanted to be free. They didn't necessarily want to follow the Lord. And you could tell that when they got to Mount Sinai and they're waiting for Moses to come down the mountains and they said, forget it. This is not really what I bargained for. So they made a golden calf and they partied. This is not what they wanted. And when the Jews who heard Jesus preach and got fed started to follow him and he started to preach, look, this is really what it's about. It's about cost. It's about laying down your life. It's about becoming my disciple. And they said, this is not what I bargained for. I just want the free lunch. That's why I'm here. I thought you were going to just feed us all the time because this was really great. We look at great musicians. We look at great athletes. We look at actors and actresses. And we think, man, wouldn't it be great to just be like that? We think we can do it without practice, without work, without sweat. Trust me. I'm not ready to be Jordan Spieth. I'd like to be. But I don't practice. I go out and play one day a week. I love it. But it's not going to happen. I'm not willing to pay the price. I'm not able to pay the price. I got to work for a living. See, what the Lord wants is for us to pursue Him. That's what Jesus was inviting. That's what God was inviting. And sometimes we misunderstand what this life really is all about. Every Sunday, every Sunday, we come to this table. And we need to understand what that really is all about. We know the Last Supper, most of us who attend church. We understand what that's about. We understand that we remember that in Holy Communion. Do you know the only gospel that doesn't have the institution of the Last Supper in it is John's gospel? You know, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. It's not in John's gospel. John's gospel, John chapter 2, has the story of the water to wine. John chapter 6 has Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But he goes on to say, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and abide in me. Because that's what it means to be my disciple. In other words, if you really understand what communion is about, 
You need to have an intimate relationship with me. You need to be so much a part of me and I a part of you. That it's not even just walking behind me, it's being a part of me. That you identify with me. That my life is your life. That it's not cafeteria Christianity. See, most people want a superficial religiosity. That's what most people really want. A little bit of faith, but not too much. Enough to make me feel good, but, you know, I don't want to take this too seriously. I mean, I want to live my own life. I want to get the benefits, but I don't want the cost. And that's why if you read John 6, people said this is too difficult and they turned and they walked away. At least they were honest. You know, you might be sitting there and saying, you know, I'm just not good enough. You know, the reality is, you're right. You're not. No one is. No one's perfect. That's not the point. You might be saying, you know, I really don't know the Bible that well. You might be right. That's not the point. You've got to start somewhere. God wants an open heart. He wants you to abandon yourself. He wants you to say, yes, I'll trust you. I'll follow you. That I want that intimate relationship with you. I want what the communion signifies, symbolizes, dramatizes. That you have become so much a part of me that I identify with you. That's discipleship. That's being a Christian. This is not a part time activity. And you may not feel like you have much at this point. A little boy's lunch of five barley loaves, the peasant's kind of bread, coarse, dark, and two fish. You know, probably like little sardines or smelts. Do you know what smelts are? How many know what smelts are? My mom was Italian. My grandmother was from Calabria. So was my grandfather on my mom's side. We used to have the seven-course fish meal 
on Christmas Eve, the Italian fish meal. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. My dad hated it. There were these little fish called smelts. I could, I could deal with it. They weren't great. But it was considered like the poor man fish. God took this little boy's lunch, this poor little boy's lunch, and he blessed 5,000 people and there were leftovers. That's what God can do with a heart that's open, with a life that's given over to him. Manna. What's that? What's that? God wants to surprise you. And God wants to bless you. And God wants to use you. But it takes you trusting Him. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, the world calls us to live for ourselves, not for you. And so many live a compromised life, a superficial religiosity. And you call us to true discipleship, to be abandoned of ourselves and wholly trust you that you want to surprise us and you long to transform us and feed us with this bread from heaven that we might never hunger again and never be thirsty. For you satisfy our deepest desire and our deepest need. Lord, as we come to a time when we will baptize Hudson, I pray that those here who have never abandon themselves to you, might find this a time to give themselves to you wholly and completely and come to know you as Savior and Lord and trust you wholly and completely. And for those who have lived a compromised life, a superficial faith, then they might live a renewed, a renewed commitment and come to a deeper knowledge and love of you. And that all of us here might be transformed. And as this little boy was used, so we might be used to bless lives around us. And we pray this 
for the sake of your kingdom and in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we prepare.